Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. Can we please just take a deep breath? Can we all take a step outside, walk around in the fresh air for a bit, and relax? If you are listening to this and you are not someone that frequents Twitter or doesn't even know what Twitter is, I envy you because (laughs) some of the reactions this season to everything that has happened in the season, but especially the last week have been incredibly over the top overreactionary. And as our boss says a lot, don't take a couple, a couple trolls on Twitter and make it sound like everybody is saying that this is not what we're doing. So many people are losing their minds over things that are either they're very explainable over very small sample sizes or over just being truly, truly insane. Basically everything we're going to talk about in this episode, we're going to tell you what the overreactions have been because it's fun to make the comparisons. Megan and I were just chatting before we started recording where I feel like the last couple of weeks, I've almost felt like I've been sounding like a Homer Because I've been needing to defend the team, certain players against these incredibly irrational takes when I have more than enough criticisms about this team, about these players, even about the coaching staff. Yet when your certain criticism or reaction is mild compared to everyone else, it's been a week. It has been a week. (laughs) to say the least. So to start, UConn is down another player. Sailor Poffenbarger entered the transfer portal and committed to Arkansas earlier in the season. Now Mir McLean is heading out of town. She also enters the transfer portal. Obviously it just happened yesterday. So we have no information about where she might be heading, where she is heading, anything like that. She played in three games this season, played a total of eight minutes, Right off the bat, I don't think there's anything overly concerning or surprising about either of these transfers. I want to lump them in together. Sailor obviously was not a good cultural fit. From the limited action that we saw last season, it didn't seem like she was necessarily at this level, even though I am very cautious not to use that as our full evaluation. That's all we saw. Mir McLean wasn't playing. Even when UConn was really shorthanded, if she wasn't going to be playing now, Bobby Griffin comes back. If the other three guards come back, she's got no chance at playing later in the season. It almost seems like she's regressed since she stepped on campus. The only difference is I can't think of a player that UConn's lost that's transferred where you go, oh my God, that player transferred. They're losing that player, this key contributor. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's been a while, but I just really can't imagine someone transferring there. That's obviously happened with people departing to the WNBA early, but in terms of people transferring, very rarely is that someone that UConn has been relying on, has been counting on. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Let's just go through recent history. Andre Espinosa Hunter, again, not a cultural fit, had an okay career at Mississippi State, but wasn't anything spectacular. Lexi Gordon just wasn't at the level of UConn, has had a nice little career. Nothing that UConn, I think, really feels like they might be missing out at. Michaela Coombs, I think she really just showed over the years that she wasn't at this level, has had a nice career at UConn, left amicably. I'm not even including Autumn Makara because she's playing pro. Autumn Chasson is a walk-on. I don't even really think you can consider her that. Sailor Poffenbarger, even with all their injuries to the guards, I don't really know if she would have been playing right now. Mir McLean, I think 
of the transfers that I can remember, she's probably the most disappointing in the terms of, yeah, that player could have been something. You could see her talent sometimes on the floor, but it didn't come through enough. Her playing time really fell off at the end of last season. Eight minutes in three games this year when they are so shorthanded, when they really could have used someone like her. What Gino said about her at the start of last season where she's great rebounding, but not that great offensively is the exact same thing he said about her now. So clearly the development hasn't been there. I imagine some of that's on mirror. I also think there's probably a fault in the coaching staff, but this is the normal churn of college basketball rosters. And with not only the transfer portal, but the not having to sit out a year so she can go to another school, sit out the rest of this year, and then immediately play next fall, that makes it a lot easier to transfer, especially with someone like Ayanna Patterson coming in next year, who's going to eat into whatever minutes she gets anyways. It's understandable why she decided to go elsewhere. Yeah, I think especially when you see like she didn't even get minutes against UCLA with all the injuries that UConn has right now. And then, like you said, you've got new pieces coming in in the front court next year. I mean, kind of we'll get to it eventually, but one of the bright spots of these couple games has been that Amara Gaberi has been playing pretty well too. So she's getting minutes over Mir. So I think it just kind of makes sense. When the player, the freshman who has played zero minutes the entire season gets a lot more playing time than you against Georgia Tech, I feel like that's a pretty good sign of where you stand on the roster and where you're going to be standing on the roster to begin with. Amari DeBerry came in, first touch scored against Georgia Tech, got to the free throw line with a really great offensive rebound and aggressive take to the basket. We hadn't seen very much of her. We hadn't heard great things about her from both the coaching staff and the players, but whenever they would talk about the struggle she was going through, it was always kind of brought up with she's going to be really good once she figures it out. She's got the talent. She has the skill. Gino said she's one of the most skilled bigs they've had in a long time. I think he said she's the most skilled big they've had since Brianna Stewart, who, if I'm remembering correctly, she was okay here at UConn. <laughs> so that is very, very high praise coming from Gino, especially for a freshman. It was really good to see her get going. But just to get it back to Mir McLean disappointing to see someone with that much talent and the impact that she could have had head out, but she's going to go to a school. I imagine where she can get more minutes, where she can make a bigger impact when she can be more of a focal point in a team maybe. And I think she's someone that could really thrive at, let's say the a 10 level. I'm thinking at like a St. Joe's or a GW. I think she could really dominate that level and develop into a good player that way, as opposed to, not playing a ton at UConn because she really feels like a type of player that is going to figure it out the more she plays. And that opportunity just wasn't going to be here at UConn. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, we'll see where she ends up probably in the coming months, but it'll be interesting to see where she lands. I mean, I think she's a type of player that she could get, go to another power Pride program, but like you said, I think she might be more successful at a different type of school. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of what she wants out of her college experience. So you could go to another power five school and maybe be a sweet 16 elite eight, maybe final four contender as a role player, or you could go to a little bit of a lower level school and have a good team in the a 10 or a good team. in I'm trying to think of what a comparable conference to the a 10 is. That's just a very easy one. The like AAC, Missouri. honestly. Yeah. Or like the, even like the Missouri Valley, that's a little higher level mid major. Right. Then you can be more of the star, the focal point, It'll be interesting to see where she picks, where she ends up from outside of Baltimore, if I remember right. So I wonder if it's going to be somewhere a little closer to home, but I don't think this says anything about the program that uh, suddenly Gino can't recruit. Suddenly he can't keep players They're losing players left and right. No one's ever left without a rhyme or reason. I mean, sure. I'd love to have Anna Makarat on the team currently, just because she was one of my favorite players to talk to on the team. She was great. She was really funny. They could really use her right now, at least freshman Anna Makarat, but you also can't falter for seeing all the guards that they had coming in and thinking, okay, there probably isn't going to be a lot of playing time for me next year. So she went pro she's making money to play basketball. It's hard to fault anyone to do that. I really see no concern with Mir McLean leaving. If someone like Caroline Ducharme or 
Nika Mule or someone like that left or Aubrey Griffin, I think I then start to wonder, okay, is something going on here? But when two players who aren't getting much playing time leave, I just don't really think that's much of a cause for concern. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, with the, without them getting minutes and being able to see kind of the writing on the wall going forward too, with what UConn has coming in, I think it just makes sense, right? They, if that's not the situation they want to be in, it's, it's a good time to leave. Speaking of players that UConn aren't going to have available going forward, Paige Beckers is going to be out longer than expected on Monday. She underwent left knee surgery to repair both an anterior, anterior tibial plateau fracture, which was the injury she was initially diagnosed with, and a lateral meniscus tear. I am not positive, but I believe I saw on Twitter from the coaches show that it was the type of thing where when they went in for the operation, I believe that's when they discovered that the meniscus was torn. If I read that correctly, I haven't gone back and listened to the coaches show, but I think that's what happened. They say that she's going to be out eight weeks. Now to get back to the overreactions, the number of people that started something with the tagline, I know I'm not a doctor or I'm not an expert in these sort of things, but I don't think she's going to be back this year or they shouldn't have her come back this year and play. They should just redshirt her. I'm not totally sure where to start with that. An eight week recovery puts her the first week of February. Let's say UConn is overly conservative with her recovery and she's ready to play by that eight week, but they want to give her a slow introduction back into basketball activities. And then once she's back to full speed, let's say they want to give her another week of just practicing and getting back into shape. Then that puts her at the end of February, unless she has a setback, which is possible, especially with a ligament now involved. Actually, I don't think the meniscus is a ligament. That's cartilage, right? I think it's a ligament. Is it? I don't know. I'm looking it up. (laughs) I think it's cartilage. One of the few things I know about the human body is I don't think that's a ligament. Anyways, that's not a very, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's as clean of a recovery as it was before, where it was just the fracture, where just that needed to heal. So even if we're really, really conservative and say she's only going to be back in time for the NCAA tournament, that is 12 weeks away. That is a full month extra that she's going to have to recover to get back for six games in the NCAA tournament. That is a very long timeline. I don't even know if the eight weeks is a conservative timeline to begin with. I am not a doctor. I am not ever going to pretend to be a doctor. But Paige Beckers is going to be back. And also, what's the point of redshirting her? Because that would give her a sixth year of eligibility when you add in the bonus COVID year from last year. Paige might not even be around after three years. You think she's going to stick around for six? Yeah, she's making good money doing NIL stuff. She's going to be making a lot of money in the WNBA as a pro athlete especially if the WNBA pay scale continues to increase into the next CBA. So there's no point in redshirting her, even if she can't come back this year for whatever reason. Yeah. You can throw the redshirt on her. She's never going to use it barring something catastrophic. Yeah, exactly. I there's one zero point in her redshirting. She's not going to stay around for six years as much as UConn fans I'm sure would like that. She's not going to be here for six years. So not yeah, not even worth discussing, honestly. And then, like you said, the timeline is eight weeks. Like, until we hear something differently, I think assuming eight weeks is what we should assume because I'm going to go ahead and say that the doctors and you know, know more than we do about what's going on with her injury. So eight weeks, even if it moves beyond that, I think you still expect her to be back for the NCAA tournament. UConn probably doesn't really need her in the Big East tournament. So even if they just get her back for the NCAA tournament, I think that's probably a good sign. Right. If she's back and ready for the Big East tournament, I don't think she's going to be playing 40 minutes in all three games. Those three games back to back, I could imagine her maybe doing something like 15 in the first game or five in the first game, 15 in the next, and then maybe a higher increment. But those quick succession games, if that's one of her earlier times back, it might not, even if you lose and don't win the Big East tournament, I think you take that loss to possibly prevent something worse from happening. But at the same time, also, 
our friend Alexa Philippou from the Hartford Current said she talked to, I think, the head orthopedic surgeon at Hartford Hospital and also a doctor from Twitter. And both of them said that eight weeks is more than a reasonable recovery time for this sort of injury, especially a player as young as Paige, a player as in shape as Paige. Again, I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor until we're told otherwise. I'm operating as three weeks. Uh, not three weeks, eight weeks. <laughs> I was going to say the less optimistic, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm operating on this as eight weeks unless we hear something else at some point that says that her recovery is not coming along as expected. But like I said, the doctors have said that's a reasonable timeline that Alexa talked to. It is the timeline the school's giving. She's going to have a whole page or a whole team of, you know, rehab behind her. It's not just like the average person that's going to PT once a week. So yeah, I don't think there's any reason to assume it's more than eight weeks until someone says it's more than eight weeks. Right. That will be roughly, if it's exactly eight weeks, that is going to put UConn without Paige Beckers for 18 games. That would have her miss the Oregon, South Carolina, and Tennessee games. Again, that is if she comes back exactly in eight weeks. Her first game back would be February 9th against Villanova at home. I think that might be a little aggressive, but just to give you the right time frame of where she may be. So they've already gone through two of those games. If all goes well, they have 16 more. And we said last week that the use there, the Georgia tech game was going to be ugly and they were going to need some time to figure out how to play without page Beckers and ugly. It was nice uh, little historic performance for UConn. They lose 57 to 44. It's the first time they've scored fewer than 45 points since 2006. It is also the first time they've lost to an unranked opponent in 240 games, dating back to St. John's in 2012 on senior day. It should be noted, though, that Georgia Tech was just outside the AP rankings. They are in it this week, I believe. Right, Megan? Yes, they are number 18 now. So jumped up quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So you're essentially, well, actually that's really funny. So Georgia tech moves up from outside to 18, but UConn drops down to seven from losing to them. Interesting. That's a decision. <laughs> Anyways, I have no take realistically about the AP poll. Do you? Because I just cannot get myself to care about the AP poll. I know. I think the whole thing is pretty much garbage, except for that South Carolina's number one. So yeah. <laughs> right. South Carolina 100% deserves to be number one. They are the best team in the country. They are the team to beat right now. They deserve every ounce of respect they are currently getting. They are a powerhouse and they don't have Destiny Henderson, which it's not Paige Beckers, but it's still a significant loss. As Megan told me before the show, I'm just trying to sound smart here. <laughs> yeah, they, the, the NC State at two is also correct. Beyond that, I have very little interest in what's going on with the people right now. <laughs> I just, it's a number. It doesn't really mean anything. You knew UConn was going to fall the moment they lost to an unranked team. I don't think, now that we have a two-game window to look at, after the Georgia Tech game, I think there were more than a few things that you were justified in being concerned about to a certain degree. Saying that Gino can't coach anymore because they lost one bad game. Saying that Kristen is never going to be a good player, that Avina's not a WNBA player because she had one bad game. That this or that, it was one game. It was one really bad game. I mean, they were terrible. Even before they fell apart late in the third quarter, their last basket of the third quarter came with 232 left. They didn't score for another 11 minutes and 11 seconds. They had more turnovers than points in the final quarter. And pretty much all of their points in that final quarter came when the game was already out of reach. So they totally fell apart at the end. They didn't really play that well before then, but it's not like UConn walked in and just suddenly didn't show up for a game. Not only were they missing Paige, Nika Mule. Oh, we haven't even talked about that. Nika Mule is suddenly out three weeks or more or less with this foot injury that is still problematic from when she injured it in the NCAA tournament. Gina just kind of dropped that one casually. And it's like, wait, so now you're going to be without Paige, Aubrey, AZ, and Nika 
did we talk about that? No. We did. I think so. I think we recorded after that last week. I have truly lost track of time. I barely know it's Tuesday. The only reason I know it's Tuesday is because my computer's telling me. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm very lost with time. So it's not like you're just losing Paige. You're also losing your top backup point guard, which means both Kristen Williams and Avina Westbrook are playing a role that they haven't in the past. And Caroline Ducharm is going to have to play a much bigger role. And the team also has to play differently because they started with three bigs on the floor. They Dorka Juhas replaced Paige in the starting lineup instead of Caroline Ducharm. The three bigs didn't really work out for UConn, but they're playing a different style. They have different players in different positions. I mean, you can't for, they had like a couple days of practice in between two and they were playing one of the best defenses in the country. It was just a perfect storm that UConn fell into. So I don't think the fact that the game was ugly should be that surprising. I think it probably should have been a closer game. It wasn't good that UConn completely fell apart late in the game for the second time this year. But now that we have the UCLA game and the way they played in that, you look at the two game window and I don't really think there's anything drastically concerning about what happened. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds, especially against Louisville coming up. Really, those two games weren't that much different than what we expected out of them. Yeah, exactly. I think especially the Georgia Tech game, I think if Paige Beckers was on the floor, they would have won the game. But I do still think they would have struggled. I think it's a similar type of game to what we saw with like USF earlier this year where it's a tough defense. I mean, like these stats for Georgia Tech, they're holding their opponents to 45 points a game. That's first in the country. Uh, 30% field goal percentage. That's third in the country. 0.75 points per scoring attempt. That's second in the country. Like they're a really, really, really good defensive team. So UConn, which has had its struggles offensively so far this season, even with Paige Beckers on the floor, was going to struggle against that team. Then you add in the fact that you know, Paige Beckers was like, scoring or assisting on half of UConn's baskets this year. So you have to completely change your offense in two days. You no longer have your point guard or your backup point guard with two days of practice. Like just, I like, I don't really feel like we learned that much from that Georgia tech team. Like, yeah, they fell apart, but it was a tough defense. They had two days to adjust and that's what happened. Georgia Tech really feels like a team that took a little while to figure itself out, especially because they started the year with Loyal McQueen. She played three games and left. I think it took them a little bit of time to figure out themselves after that. But that was a really good Georgia Tech. It wasn't, that was a game where I really feel strongly like UConn just got beat. It wasn't like UConn was shooting itself in the foot a ton. Yeah, it wasn't hitting its shots, but Georgia Tech was a big reason for that. UConn, played a team that I think 18 kind of feels appropriate for where they should be ranked based on the way that they're playing. I'm interested to see kind of where they go from here, who they play, how they do against certain teams. That was a good team though. And UConn could not have played them at a worse time. I think that's really the biggest thing for me is UConn could not have played them at a worse time. If they played them after two weeks of practicing without page and they came out and looked like that, yeah, I think that would have been pretty bad. But again, two or three days of practice with pretty much everyone on the roster, not named Olivia Nelson Adota or yeah, pretty much Olivia Nelson Adota having to play a somewhat different tailored role. That's a lot of change for a team in a very short amount of time. Exactly. So I, I really don't think there's anything to be concerned about. And then, of course, I mean, you move to the UCLA game on it's. Sunday, Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. <laughs> and they figure some things out. So I think there's, I mean, it took them what, six quarters to figure it out. They scored like 43 points in the second half against UCLA had a really solid, I think, second half against UCLA. So six quarters to figure everything out with like three practices and losing your point guard who also scored half your baskets and, you know, your backup point guard. I don't think that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. You texted me during the game at pretty much the exact moment I was thinking about it, but you said, I don't want to jinx anything, but it looks like this team has really figured something out. And it was clear. It was like, okay, there's something different going on. Something clicked for them and it was just moving better. And really they also just showed some pretty good mental toughness. Something Gino's harped on a ton this season. 
because there was a point in the second quarter where I really thought they were about to get blown out. I thought they were going to get run out of the building. Their streak that dates back to 1993 of, I don't know what it is now, 1,000 something, 1,000 plus games without back-to-back losses. I thought that thing was toast. They looked really bad at a stretch. UCLA had gotten the lead to double digits, and then UConn made a big comeback at the end of the second. Caroline Ducharme hits a big three at the end of the first half to get him within, I believe it was three at the end of the half, right? The three got him within three or two. It was something like that. And then you come out in the third quarter and you take the game with the big run. Things are clicking. And what I thought was really interesting about the game, and I wrote about this, was it was very much a team effort. There was no one player that I think you could really point to and be like, they were the one that did it all, all 40 minutes, the way that we've done with Paige Beckers time and time again throughout our first two years. First quarter, Avina Westbrook could not have been more huge for this team. She was phenomenal. She kept them afloat. She was the only one hitting shots that entire quarter. And then Olivia Nelson Adota hit one in the final minute. That was UConn's first basket that wasn't from Avina Westbrook. If she doesn't show up the way they do, we're talking about a very different weekend, a very different two-game sample, a very different result on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. She, I mean, Avita just like put the team on her back in that first quarter. She was fantastic. She knocked down shots. Honestly, she might have had the assist on Liv's bucket too. I think she probably kind of did a lot in that first quarter, which is exactly what you kind of needed to, her to do. And we've talked about it a thousand times about how she always just seems to know how to do what you kind of needs. And she did that in the first quarter. And then she was still very involved the rest of the game, ended with seven rebounds and seven assists and it hit many shots later on, but she didn't have to. We always talk about how Avina Westbrook is just such an important part of this team. And I feel like a lot of times that gets lost when she's not scoring, but it wasn't like she was just getting easy buckets either. Some of them were coming in transition. She was hitting shots from the outside. She was hitting shots in the set. And as Gino said afterwards, there are moments in games where certain players have to step up and be able to handle and get your team through a rocky patch. That's exactly what Paige Beckers has done for this team the last two years. The fact that it's been someone else now and we've seen someone else do it, I think that's really huge. And it doesn't need to be Avina Westbrook every time. Sometimes it might have to be Olivia Nelson Adota. Sometimes it might have to be Kristen Williams. It was Caroline Ducharm for a little bit in the second quarter. Her numbers weren't as gaudy as Avina Westbrook's, but there was a point in the second quarter where she really kind of seemed to get comfortable out there, hit a layup that seemed to calm her down. And she just was a huge part in that UConn run to get it back closer when they got to halftime. It was a Veen in the first quarter. I really thought Caroline was it in the second half. And it was funny because I remember watching her and she was just like a step off or an, a foot off or slightly off for a lot of the early part of that game, but you could see that the wheels were turning and she was getting close. And I tweeted, look, I know she's a freshman, but Caroline Ducharm's got to figure it out because besides Avina, she looks like the closest one to be able to do something. And then suddenly it clicked. So I'm taking full credit for that with my tweet. But what did you think of Caroline in that second quarter? Yeah, I mean, she was fantastic in the game. And I think one thing I've noticed with her, like kind of throughout what we've seen from her so far is her shots haven't really been falling, but she still looks like she knows where she's supposed to be. Like she doesn't look lost out on the floor. Like I think you sometimes see a freshman, especially a freshman now in her position where they're kind of just being like dressed and having to take on a big role because, you know, they have all these injuries now. But it felt like something clicked a little bit more with the shots in that second quarter. And she still didn't shoot great on the game but I think just the fact that she's like doesn't get discouraged and continues shooting is huge as a freshman and like the shots are going to fall eventually I have no doubt so I think I really like what I've seen from her oh I'm a huge Caroline Ducharme fan you can just see the potential with her oozing because I mean yeah you see that sometimes with players but it's very encouraging that she's playing these games getting 14 points, getting these rebounds. It's not just the scoring. She's doing a lot on the defensive end. She's got some blocks. She's getting rebounds and she's making the mistakes, but she's learning from the mistakes. You could tell early in the game that she was a little uncomfortable with the ball in her hands. She was just in the wrong spot a little bit and she tried to drive and it wouldn't quite be there. But then once she got settled into the flow of the offense, yeah, if she's putting up these type of games, 
without really going off from three, like she supposedly is capable of, like we've seen that she could do in high school. I think that's a really promising sign for UConn. I don't know how much she can be trusted to add 14 points every single game, but if you can at least be getting her to play around that level every night, and even if it's not points, but she's just rebounding and defending well and being a threat from the three-point line, that is such a valuable piece to have, especially as they're so thin in the backcourt right now. Just The more I see from her, the more I just really fall in love with her game. I just really, really am enjoying watching her play, and I'm really going to enjoy watching her development over the next few years. She's a really fun player and a different player than the other guards on UConn's roster. Yeah, I think her height just get like gives her range a lot more. They can play her at the three. They can probably play her at a stretch four. When her shots start going down, she's going to be a really, really versatile player for this team. Also, before we get a little too far ahead, I do just want to make sure we talk a little bit more about Amari DeBerry because we mentioned her earlier, but I think her development is really promising. And she was a lot better in her limited minutes against Georgia Tech than she was against UCLA but I still think the fact that she's starting to earn some minutes that she seems to be starting to figure it out. I really like that about her. She just plays hard. And when you're a freshman who's trying to work through things, when you see them playing hard, I think that's just a really good sign. Obviously the talent's there, but the way she's playing, it almost feels like that's all they need her to be. If she can be a fill in when one of those three bigs is in foul trouble or not having a great night the way that Aaliyah didn't have a great night for two games in a row. That's a really nice role for her. And if she can just kind of build out from that, she's going to have an impact on the season, which I think is really good. Yeah, for sure. I think that that was a really positive sign to see and hopefully they're not going to need her to contribute, but to to have her off the bench and have her come in and contribute right away. I think it's a a really positive sign. Well, the more she plays, the more comfortable she's going to get out there. And I think we're going to see a really solid game from her at some point. I don't want to put numbers on it, but I think we're going to see her for an extended stretch of time where she's just playing really well. And she's out there because that's just how it looks. And that's how it's working instead of uh, lives in foul trouble. Dork is off tonight. Aaliyah can't hit a shot. It was funny against Georgia tech to go back to that game quickly. There's a stretch where they had Amari. And then I think it was live. Caroline Avina and Kristen. And I remember thinking and then tweeting, imagine telling someone in October that that would be UConn's most effective lineup against Georgia Tech in December. (laughs) I don't even know how they would react to that. Like mind blowing to see where we've gotten to this point in the UConn season where Amari DeBerry is for a time, one of the best players on the floor or in one of UConn's best lineups for a stretch. Yeah, very true. (laughs) Not something we would have predicted. (laughs) No, definitely not. To get back on track to the UCLA game, and speaking of the bigs, Dorky Juhas finally had that breakout game. And that's a question that I've gotten a lot, both from our weekly subscribers, from people on Twitter, is some variation of what's going on with Dorka because the resume has always been there. The two-time Big Ten all-first-team selection the way she played against Fort Hayes State, and then it just didn't translate over into games until Saturday. 16 points, I was stunned when I saw 16 rebounds. Not that I didn't think that she could do it, just because that is such a large number. She was really good. That was the player that it felt like we were promised and we were kind of expecting when she transferred here, when Gina was talking about her from what we saw against Fort Hayes State. Speaking of players that just need to do what their role says they need to do, The way she played, maybe not 16 points and 16 rebounds, but if she has those type of performances every single night, UConn's going to be in really good shape in the front court. Yeah, I think what especially stuck out to me there too was 13 points and 13 of those rebounds came in the second half. So she did that all 20 minutes, basically. Like, that's insane. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And I also felt like it wasn't just that she was – producing but she seemed like she was also coming up in some big moments I know there was a moment I don't remember if it was third quarter or fourth quarter but UCLA had kind of grabbed some of the momentum back they got within three and then Dorka hit a really big shot that stopped the momentum and then it flipped it into a UConn run and from there they kind of put the game away for good 
that was a really big shot. It just seemed like some of the rebounds that she got came at really crucial points in the game where if UCLA got the offensive board and put it back up, suddenly there's a little bit of a different feeling. And when we're just going off the eye test, they just looked better with dorky Uhas out there playing like that. Really promising performance. Really good sign for both UConn's development as a team and Uhas development as an individual. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I thought she was obviously great in the second half, but I think just even if you kind of just get a fraction of that every night, I don't think they, they don't need to, to have 16 and 16 every night. I mean, if she does, that's great. But I think just seeing that in the UCLA game was really solid to see, especially against a UCLA team that's a pretty solid de- rebounding team to have 16 rebounds. Like, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And UCLA doesn't have a ton of size. Louisville doesn't really either. But I don't think going up against teams with size was really what was messing with Juhas. It was what Gino said about her from the moment she stepped on campus is she wants to do so well at UConn. She came here to prove herself at another level that she almost tries too hard and she rushes herself and she's forcing things and she played at a good pace today. That's the word he used. She was at played at a good pace today. And that's the exact same wording that he had against Fort Hayes state. So it's all about her pace How does she go about and keep herself from getting sped up? That's why I don't really think the height thing matters. Like, yeah, she needs to prove that she can do those sorts of things against teams with height, that she can handle it. But her issues have been internal. They haven't been because of what other teams are doing. So that's why I'm really encouraged what we saw from her. But at the same time, it's also one half. I want to see her continue this into the Louisville game and then past Christmas and do it on a nightly basis because she's definitely capable of being a nightly contributor. This is just a very small sample size that we're currently looking at a very good sample size, but a small one nonetheless. Yeah, exactly. I think we got to see it with some consistency, but I think it's still at least a good sign that it happened. Let's talk about Kristen Williams a little bit, because I think it's been a pretty disappointing season for her, especially the way she started had 31 points against Minnesota, and then it's just been off since then. She's back at that point that she was last year where we were talking about where it's just not looking right, and her outside shot just is not falling right now. She admitted that she was missing some free throws. I did like how she started to get going in the second half, though. She had a really bad first half. She had a bad game against Georgia Tech, but she stuck with it. She slowly turned it around and got some positive momentum going into the Louisville game. Yeah, agreed. I thought kind of at the end of the, the second half, she it felt like she hit some shots, she got some buckets, and then hopefully that's going to kind of transition into, you know, having a better game against Louisville. But it has been a little disappointing to see kind of her not be great in these two games because I think it's a player that you would look to to step up and really be able, she's a player that I still think is capable of carrying this team. Like she can be this team's leading scorer. She can carry this team through this stretch, but we just haven't seen that player in these first two games. Right. Absolutely. She's really the X factor over these next eight weeks, because from what we've seen from Avina, this isn't a knock on her because we're obviously both big Avina fans, but Is there really another level that she can get to on a consistent basis? I think, yeah, maybe she could put up 30 points if she really gets hot from three, one game, but I think right around the 15 point mark, right around five rebounds, five assists, that's where Avina is going to be. And that's a really good contribution. And Liv, I think Liv has been really, really solid, not all American. Like I predicted, that's fine. I still think Liv has been more than adequate. She's been a very good player for this team and it doesn't necessarily all show up in the stats. Kristen's the one that really has the highest ceiling here. And we've seen it in such small spurts and it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, if we don't see it soon, I don't think it's going to happen. And we're not at that point yet, but I think we're getting a little bit closer to it. You got Louisville. Then you start the second half. If we get to the end of January, I think, and it's still kind of the same couple up, mostly down, then maybe I'm going to finally walk down from the Kristen Williams Hill and not fall on that sword. 
But right now, I still think she can do it. And she just seems to be in her head a little bit. So focusing on classes this week, taking finals, having a week off, playing one game, and then having, what is it, another 10 days off, 11 days off. I think that's really going to help her figure it out. You hope get away from basketball for a little bit, kind of hit the reset button and come in and figure out where you are on this team going forward. Because I, I agree, she can do so much for this team. And not that she can make them forget about Paige Beckers, but she can make life without Paige Beckers so much easier if she plays at the level she's capable of that every single night. I'm getting a little more uncertain that that's something she's capable of, though. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how she responds in the Louisville game. And then, like, can she come out and have a huge performance there? That would be, I think, a good sign. She does. It does look like she's been in her head, which I think maybe isn't that surprising, right? Like, she probably has a lot of weight on her shoulders. I'm sure a lot of people are expecting her to be this player that's going to step up in the absence of Paige and really carry this team. So that's probably a lot to, you know, take on. So hopefully just a little bit of time off to, like, reset will help with that. But I think also the other thing is like coming back to like last year when she kind of in the postseason had that really great stretch. It kind of started with her defense and then that translated to her confidence on the offensive end. So hopefully we can see some more of that too. Like I think they were really good in the UCLA game in the second half. My like one stat that kind of stands out to me though is that like Charisma Osborne still scored 26 points. You can't have guards scoring 26, 30 points on you. That's, that's got to change. Yeah, 100%. I've been a little underwhelmed by your defense all season. I know Gino said it has been really good. I don't know. I don't totally know if I buy that. Not that I know more than an 11-time national championship who's definitely watching every game and breaking it down, whereas I'm not. But I don't know. Maybe I just thought she was at a different level than she was at. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I haven't been overly impressed with her defense this season either. I don't think we've seen the Kristen Williams on defense that we saw in the postseason last year. I don't think we've seen that yet this year. I think, honestly, we've seen Paige Beckers be probably the best guard defender on this team so far this season. So I think Kristen Williams is very capable of being that player. We've seen it. So maybe just kind of going back to focusing on that and the offense will come. But I I would like to see more of that from her. I think if there is a pretty big positive to take out of these two games, it's that it took UConn six quarters to figure out how to get to a level where they could survive without page backers. Realistically, some really quick development. I think it's really key that both these games came against not the same team, but similar level team, top 25 fringe top 25 teams, because otherwise our entire conversation would be, yeah, they looked good against Providence, but you know, it was Providence. Like they could have rolled out any five players on their team and still probably have beaten Providence. No, they beat a pretty good UCLA team and played very well in the second half against a pretty good UCLA team. I think right now they're at the point where they can survive. I'm interested over these next eight weeks. And this is a very wide open-ended thing that we're looking at, but can they maybe thrive if they've gotten to this level very quickly? And I think a lot of that starts with Louisville this weekend where Louisville, good team. I know you are not very high on them. I was listening to their game against Kentucky the other day. I was setting up my Christmas tree. I didn't see it very much, but still a good team. I think we could argue where they stand compared to UCLA and George tech, but this is still going to be really important test. Can they continue to just survive because that's step one, win these games? And do we start to see signs that maybe they can thrive and become not just a team that's capable of winning without page backers, but a team that's actually one of the best teams in the nation, even though they don't have page backers. That is going to be the question that we continue to evaluate over the next eight weeks. And I think Louisville is a really nice measuring stick i think for that because i I first would like to hear your thoughts on this specifically but also what you think expectations should be for this louisville game yeah i mean louisville's ranked six in the country and like while i'm not that high on them i think when you start going through like the top 25 like there's just i think a very clear drop off between 
and I think like Maryland belongs in this upper group, but like you're like kind of one South Carolina, which is just in their own world right now. And then NC State, Stanford, I would put Maryland up there, even though they're only like eighth in the AP poll, which I already told you my feelings on that. So, um, but like, and then there's, I think there's a pretty big drop and I think Louisville is part of that next year, but it's still pretty big drop. So I think this game is going to be interesting. I don't think it's like unwinnable for UConn. Like UConn very well could win this game, which I think would be a huge step for them and for showing where this team can go in the next eight weeks or whatever it is without Paige Beckers. Um, but I think this game is particularly interesting because it's going to be low scoring, I think, which is kind of how Louisville's been all season, which at this point I think still favors UConn in that I don't know that they're going to win a shootout game right now. Like the offense still has some work to do, but in a low scoring game, I think that they've, they've got some better odds. And then, I mean, Louisville is a really strong defense, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what adjustments they've made since that Georgia Tech game. I don't know that they're quite as stifling as Georgia Tech, but it's still a really strong defensive team. So I think we're going to have to see what kind of adjustments over this whole week of practice that they've now had that they can make on the offensive end. And then I think where you kind of can win this though is on the defensive end. Louisville doesn't really have a player that's, you know, going off for 20 points a game. Their two league scorers are Kiana Smith, who's averaging 11, and then Haley Van Leith, who's averaging 10. So they don't have a ton of players that are going to go off and, you know, kill you from three with a 30-point game. So as long as they can kind of defend as a team and then use their size advantage inside, I think they can be right there with this label team. Are they going to win it? I don't know, but I don't – it should be a close game. What are your thoughts on Van Leith? Because – at the start of last year, there was a conversation of, is she potentially the freshman of the year? Really good start to her career. Where is she now? Obviously one of the best players in the 2020 class so far, but just what level is she playing at? She's, I think, playing at a high level, but it feels like she's still adjusting. And I don't think that's necessarily surprising on a Louisville team that lost Dana Evans, who was just so clearly the focal point of Louisville's offense last year, averaged like over well over 20 a game was always going to draw the team's other team's best defender. And now you've got Hilly Van Leith that as a sophomore is kind of thrust into that situation where she's supposed to be leaving this, leading this team on offense. She's going to draw the best defender. So I think it's just taking her a little bit of time to settle in. She's not shooting it great, especially from three so far this season. I feel like that's going to change eventually. She's shooting like 17% from three right now, which is rough, but I highly doubt that's going to stay that way. Um, hopefully for UConn fans, that's, this isn't going to be the game where she figures that out, but um, I, I still think she's a really good player. I think she's just kind of struggling and adapting to this new role. Okay. I know you kind of covered a lot of things there. Give me the one thing that you think is going to decide this game one way or another. One thing. Play. If if UConn can dominate in the paint, like if Darka can have another big game, they can get something out of Aaliyah and then live as good, I think they can win it. I'm excited. That's going to be just such a fascinating game. I don't really think it matters if UConn wins or not. I mean, it matters. I think you're at a point where you maybe need to start building your tournament resume a little bit because yeah, you have the UCLA win this would be a really nice one where you can boost yourself up. And especially if you get to a point where page Beckers is back and you're rolling with page Beckers, then maybe the committee says, okay, well, you didn't have page for this stretch. We'll kind of lop that off a little bit, but the fact that you beat Louisville without page Beckers, we'll use that to boost you a little, a little, I don't know. I, I think, it's just going to be a really interesting litmus test for where this team currently stands because two games, I, I don't even know how much I count the Georgia tech game, two quarters of good basketball against UCLA. Is that a mirage or is that what this team is actually capable of? I'm more inclined to believe the latter, but I don't think that's necessarily locked in either. Yeah. I think we're going to get a better idea in this game. Can they come out and play four good quarters of basketball against Louisville? That would be a really, really good sign regardless of what the final outcome is. Like if they lose by a couple points, I don't really think that you have too much to worry about, but I, I do agree that it is time. They've got to try to think about like 
their tournament resume too. And obviously they're coming out trying to win the game, but that is going to start becoming a conversation point. I think just because their conference doesn't offer them a whole lot of opportunities to make up for these non-conference losses if they start piling up, even if they're good losses. So hopefully they can get a win. I think that would go a long way. But ultimately, like if you're going to have Paige Beckers back in like the tournament, I don't know that it matters that much. Like, yeah, maybe you're a two or a three seed. They're going to be in Bridgeport. South Carolina is going to be in Greenville. Stanford is going to be in the Western region. Like, like you might have to play what NC State a little earlier. I like, I just, I don't think it matters. Can you imagine being the one and two seeds in the Bridgeport region, knowing that you just have a UConn team that could be the number one overall seed had they played like the way they might be playing by that point in the season all year. I would be so mad that like, I know that conversation gets overblown a little bit because people make it seem like UConn is the only one that gets the home court advantage in the NCAA tournament. But that one, I think those two teams might be a little justified or one, the one seed. I don't think UConn's going to be a one seed regardless of how the next few months pan out unless they win out, which I don't think is going to happen, but yeah, I would be mad. Yeah, that would suck, but I agree. Like, that's probably a conversation for another episode, but, like, people do get way too, like, offended by UConn getting home court advantage because it happens to everyone. And also, like, I don't know where this notion that, like, geography only plays into the women's bracket comes from, but, like, the men's bracket is based largely on geography, too. Like, it's not some, like, conspiracy theory to make UConn win the tournament. (laughs) Yes, unless you're UConn men's basketball then you almost exclusively win national championships out of the Western region. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last one, they ran through their home court in Madison square garden, but that's neither here or there. That's not for this podcast to discuss. We had a nice little break for finals week and UConn women's basketball plays Louisville next Sunday. I don't know if I've been saying Saturday, I've accidentally had Saturday in my brain for whatever reason. I don't know why it's Sunday. Then we head into Christmas. We should have an episode next week before Christmas. It's a little up in the air, TBD, but just keep an eye out for that. Other than that, you can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Or if you listen to podcasts, leave a review, tell your friends, join the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly, become a premium member if you're so inclined. I've got a cool story on Mir McLean going out tomorrow on why she didn't pan out at UConn, or I guess today by the time you're listening to this. Read the Yukon blog. Megan, got us anything to send us into the casino with? Remember to take a minute to think before you tweet. <laughs> or just never tweet. That's also an <laughs> or option. Or just stay off Twitter. That's probably what I should do. <laughs> I routinely dream of throwing away all my technology, uh, moving to a remote region of the earth, and never speaking to people again. Anyways, that'll do it from us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>